You're listening to the Progaxia Podcast. Hi everybody, it's Andy Phillips here and I've got Paul Googe with me. Hi Paul, how you doing? Um, I'm good mate. Happy Christmas! Almost. <laughs> I've got my Christmas tree up, but uh, yeah. <laughs> have you been a good boy this year? We'll have to do a Christmas uh, Christmas podcast. Yes, anyway, um, today we're going to do 1975, uh, the best progressive rock of 1975. It comes off uh, all the albums we're going to talk about come off the radio show that I did uh, for 1975. And uh, there's some great, great tracks on there, <laughs> that show. Great albums to talk about. Um, what was your what's your recollection of 75? I mean, was you did you have these albums in 75 or was it still like, you know, buying back yes. catalogue stuff? I was 11 in 75, so I was sort of like going going back into the back catalogues. Yeah. And um, as we'll come on to talk about, I think there's really quite a wide range of stuff going on here because, yeah. you know, we've got, some, um, we've got some band members going off to do solo projects. We've got some bands finding their feet. We've got some bands, I think, you know, perhaps beginning to plateau out a bit. We could discuss that. So I think it was a really interesting time for progressive rock. You know, if we think about... In the court of the Crimson King, '69. You know, it's now six or seven years into its uh, into its life, and um, and you know, as we know, um, some other stuff was around the corner, uh, musically speaking. So I think it's a really interesting time to look back on it. You know, yeah. not not having been really immersed in it at the time, and just to uh, just to reflect on what was going on with the benefit of hindsight. It, it's a it is an interesting year as well because, as you say, there's a couple of bands that are finding their feet. Mm. And maybe we'll talk about that first, because um, one of the first tracks on was a band that was sort of finding its feet at that time. Yeah. Uh, but I had two tracks from that band, and we'll talk about that in just two, in a second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was that mid-period where very old progressive rock, you know, the early 70s progressive rock had really sort of kicked in. Some of the bands in, the, in that time were just like, yeah, absolutely bloody awesome <laughs> just mm. bringing out music which was incredible uh and this was a this was a sort of time when those established bands were bringing out some still some great tracks still some great albums but as you say there's some emerging emerging bands so let's let's get on to uh the emerging band at the time the two great albums that year <laughs> two great, and we're talking about rush mm. Um, I'm, I've decided to get my CDs out rather than my arms because <laughs> they're too unwieldy. I keep, I keep poking myself on the eye with the corner on. I, I don't know if you got this. Is I this have is, that. I do have that album. The three yeah. album set, Rush Archives. So you know, yeah. as a young kid, I didn't have much money. You, you know, you had to get up before I went to bed and lick middle of the road. Right, but, anyway, but you right, got right, the first right. three Rush albums, and this is this was and is still a very treasured possession. You know, how many yeah. years later? We're talking 35, 40 years, still got it. Yeah, and yes, it's got it's got Fly By Night and Caress of Steel on it, as you know. Yeah. I was I was I was actually gonna bring that one in because you know, because it's a it is an album that I when I I remember buying um as sort of trying to fill that back catalogue in as quickly and as cheaply as I possibly could. I then went on, of course, to buy the bloody albums as well. But, you know, it's the way it works. You know, you're always finding like a nice cheap Rush album somewhere <laughs> in a shop where you did in them days. And today is a little bit different. But anyway, um, so, yeah, the, the album's going to talk about is uh, firstly Fly By Night and and also Caress of Steel. Big, big influential albums, um, albums that, as you say, or have alluded to, um, were the sort of the beginnings of the prog side of Rush. So, do you want to have a have a talk about this one first? Yeah, sort of fly by night. And so, um, I mean, the track that you chose was uh, was Bytor, wasn't it? Bytor and Snow yeah. Dog. Love that um, track. <laughs> and so, this this appealed to the sort of like the young sci fi uh, fan in me, uh, Bytor. And um, makes an appearance uh, later on the next album we're going to talk about as well. So there's yep. a theme going on. Um, so um, you know, again, looking back with hindsight, no, this was this was the second album for Rush, but the first album, the difference musically between the first and second album, I think, is huge. Yeah, first Massive, album, yeah. I think you can understand why there were 
referred to as kind of like Led Zepp clones, you know. Um, I mean, there's some great songs. I, you know, I still like Working Man. I still like um, um, Hey Baby, It's a Quarter to Eight. I feel I'm in the mood. Um, yeah. But, you know, they, they weren't challenging in that way, were they? And then, you know, they, they, they get their new drummer, uh, and he's a very good drummer and a great lyricist. And, you know, it... it some bands talk about difficult second album. This doesn't come across as a difficult second album. It really feels like a new burst of you know, lease of life for them. Um, but the buy tour track, um, I, I prefer the live version that came out shortly after on um, All the World's a Stage. Yeah, um, just had just um, just uh, had a bit more energy to it. So 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 I liked it. But I think they were still just trying to. Um, work out who they were musically and where they could go to. And by the time they got to recording the live version, I think it's just, um, it's got more, more uh, energy to it, more dynamism to it. Um, but I love the album. Uh, I love the album so much that I have, I have a jigsaw puzzle. Oh. <laughs> I have a 500 piece jigsaw puzzle of the album cover. Um, it says something like two to four years on it, but I did it much quicker than that. So <laughs> I think I'm pretty good. Uh, so <laughs> yes, Christmas present for everybody. Rush jigsaw puzzles. Just That's awesome. Good. A word from our sponsors there. <laughs> that is brilliant. Yeah, I, to me, it was, the, the, as I say, I, mean, I, I went back on these, but these were the, um, both Fly By Night and Caressa Steel were albums that, were played quite a lot, you know, in, mm. you know, in my mates' bedrooms when we listened to, to music, you know, locking ourselves away and just listening to, to, to music. And the first album, the first Rush album as well, which obviously was a, a rock, it was a rock and roll album, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I, when, when Fly By Night sort of was being pushed around, you know, it starts off with Anthem. Mm. And, uh, I don't think there's a there's a uh, a more apt opener for a live show than Anthem, mm -hmm. which they used for years. I mean, when I went to see them, it's like you know, you know, we want to do something for you now, right now. Here's Anthem, yeah. <laughs> and they, and straight away into it, and I just loved it. Um, but you know, you've also got things like you know, Beneath, Between, Behind, and um, you know, Rivendell, which is which is very very yeah. sort of light and airy. Uh, and yeah. things like that, uh, but by tour, I, I just fell in love with. I just fell in love with by tour on a snow dog. I thought it's a great track. Mm. Uh, was it nine, nine minutes long? Like that, yeah. Different from from their their normal sort of types of uh, tracks that they were doing on on the first album. Mm. Um, and it was at the time when I was starting to get into more expansive music as well. So it just it was of the time and it hit me just at the right moment because I was, I was, I was beginning to look for more stuff and I probably heard it around about sort of 76. Mm. Um, when it was really my, my, my mate Mick Smith, who was uh, the guitarist in my band had fly by night and I'd never even heard of it. And he started playing some of the tracks from it. And, but it was by tour and the snow dog that I just went, this is bloody brilliant. This is absolutely excellent because we was listening to you know a lot of classic rock mm. and some of those classic rock acts were starting to expand a little bit into sort of more progressive music but it was like almost like just rush just went we're gonna we're gonna go full into this we're gonna go full tilt into prog mm. at that point you know once rutsy had left and per, per sorry per joined mm. um it just just it exploded in my head when I first heard this. So, by Tora and the Snow Dog has got a really big meaning for me because it was one of those. It was that time when I was just getting into the prog stuff, and this was like the bridge between the two, between sort of classic rock and progressive rock. Um, you know, the Tobes of Hades and all that sort of thing. You know, it was just absolutely brilliant. So I, I absolutely loved loved that album. Uh, but specifically, you know, by tour. And I thought I had to put it onto the show because it was that bridge between that classic rock and that progressive rock, which I was getting into. Yeah. And it's it's very different to any of the songs on the first album, isn't it? Because the first album, they are, they're just, they're, they are rock songs. Yeah, they're just rock, yeah, just like, a rock band, yeah. 
Yeah, Working Man is a one-minute song that you know becomes eight minutes because it's got yeah, it's built around a guitar sound. It's clearly something they thought we need we need to stretch out a bit and fill some time when we're playing stuff live. Yeah, but, you know, something like Bite on the Snow Dog. It tells a story. You know, it's got it's got um, no, different sections to it, and it's it's so musically different to what they'd done before. So yeah, it was very bold if you think where they'd come from. Yeah, um, and they had a fairly good early reputation, you know, as a live band. But you know this. This, this would have stretched them and the audience a bit, I guess, and you know, and, and, and it worked. But I, I, can, I can only imagine what it would have been like, you know, when they go from working man to playing that you know, bite or on the stage and a few people thinking, well, I can't, I can't bang my head to some of this. So, you know, I'm going to have to just stop and listen to it for a bit and, and try and work out what the Tobes of Hades really are. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, so great choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and from the live classic, uh, it, so, you know, just... Uh, which I absolutely loved at the time, um, and I loved it every time I, you know, every time I went to see them in the old days. You know, it was just like they start off with anthem, and it was just like it was the the, the kicker to the gig. Yeah. Um, but you know, when when Rutsy fell ill, was he had, yeah. it had yeah. diabetes or something? Or yeah, he did diabetes, I believe. Yeah, uh, a and, few other things, you know. And, and beneath, between, and behind was often you know very early on in the set, wasn't it? For a long time um, afterwards, so you know, anthem and. Uh, uh, beneath, between, and behind, very much sort of early, early ones to get the, the crowd on their feet back in the days when we could do that and not told to sit down by security. Yeah, and, and Rush had a very sort of, well, uh, I, I don't want to say lucky, but a very sort of uh, fortuitous path to getting people to know them as well. I and mean, they, they played support to a lot of bands. Yeah, back then, you know, their, their record label sort of just put them onto onto lots and lots of shows. I can't remember exactly who, who was it, but they were big names. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm making this up, but it, like bands like Wishbone Ash or something, you know, they were just put on the back of these these amazing bands that were touring, and they they just went out touring straight away. Yeah, but you know, Neil Peart had something like I don't know a couple of weeks between joining the band and then going on tour. Mm. <laughs> yeah, which was because yeah. he, he joined in I think it was uh, July or something like that or seventy four, and then they went on tour in in December. I, I don't think it would have taken him too long to work out how to play to um, in the mood or something. I think well, not knowing what it's but you know what it's like when you you know it was a, a couple of weeks before the tour kicked off, um, mm. which I know sorry it was in August. Uh, I think the first show they had was in Pittsburgh, so mm. and the opening to Uriah Heap, if I remember mm. rightly, and Manfred Mann. So you see these yeah. bands that were these big bands at the time, and they just sort of stepped into that 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 touring thing. They were they were going all across America. I've got a recollection that they um, supported Yes as well back in the day as well, but I, I, I may be mistaken. I, they've certainly, I think, some incongruous pairings. You now you, you look at some of them now and go, "What were they doing?" But you know, Yes did. I'm sorry, Rush did build up a, a very loyal following, um, as yeah. we know. I mean, hugely devoted fans. Um, I was a devoted fan. I mean, I, I went to see them like if they were playing three nights at Hamilton Odeon, I'd get three tickets. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I and think, I don't do that with with many other bands. It's only the, the, the you know these ones that really mean a lot to me. You know, I, I think um, there's a fact factoid that um, um, they were the most requested band to go on the cover of Rolling Stone. No, the the, the, the fans always writing in saying, "No, we want more on the on more and Rush. Get them on the uh, cover." So yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and, and and rightly so. And then later on in the year, they brought out um, Cress of Steel. Yes. Fantastic, fantastic album, um, and you know, again, a big departure yep. from the the very first stuff. Bastille Day, I think, was a was again a great live live classic, um, mm. but sort of sort of stepping back to what they used to be in some ways. Um, and I like things things like Lakeside Park on there as well. Mm. I, I do like the Necromancer. Uh, in fact, the Necromancer and Fountain of Lambeth. I actually put Fountain of Lambeth yeah. on the on the radio show, uh, but I like the Necromancer because it's again, it's not probably not yeah, when you're looking back on this, it's probably not the best music in the world at the time. You no. Know? No. However, this was Rush, and they were so so different to everybody else. And I think once you got into it, I remember vividly just thinking one day oh my god i'm a rush fan i yeah. am so in love with this band and it they had to do these things i mean you, you said before that there's bands that have had to do certain things 
before they went on to uh, yeah. they, they, you know before they went on to twenty one twelve and hemispheres and yeah. farewell to kings and all those sort of things. They sort of had to have this little bridging section between coming out of being just an, a, another classic rock band into that progressive rock area. And I think Necromancer was was a track that just they had to get out of themselves. I mean, also I've, I've read loads of stuff about you know interviews with people people like Geddy Lee and Alex Lyson about this sort of time. And they said that you know when they were writing this stuff, they were pretty stoned, mm. you know. And you know, sitting in a bedroom writing this stuff, and mm. you can, when you listen to it, especially Necromancy, you can you can tell that they were they must have been off their trolleys when they were writing it because it's mm. it's very very different. But it's it's it seems like it's really fully from them, you know. Which is why I like. That's why I like Necromancer, even though a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, Caressa Steel's not a great Rush album." I love it. Um, and Fanny Lamnes, I, I think it's mind blowing. Nah, so for me, this is a difficult third album, yeah, you know, or the difficult second album with the established lineup, because it doesn't quite work for me. <clears throat> Just a little bit thin, a little bit weak, you know. Um, well, I agree, agree. They totally. put it out very quickly, didn't they? After um, yeah. after Fly By Night. So, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right about it being a sort of transition type album, an album they had to make to get to. Because um, I think it's quite, quite incredible to think how they got from that to 2112. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, we'll talk about 2112 some other time. But, um, but you know, compare and contrast, you know, this caress of steel with 2112. It's a huge leap they took from here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Phantom Lamnef, to me, just drifts a bit, and maybe they were a bit stoned when they're putting it together. Um, and so I thought they're just a little bit short of ideas, a little bit short of musical ideas. Um, still like that. But I'm, I can remember as a young kid, you know, I think I'm going bald. And just yeah. thinking, well, this just seems a bit, you know, this is this is a band that's just given us, you know, um, bite on the snow dog, you know, a lovely little mini epic. And uh, I think I'm going bold, so bored with life. And it's just like, oh, really, you can do better than this, you know. Uh, and they did. So no, it isn't. It isn't my favourite um, Rush album. Um, but um, yeah. it's, it's not the favourite Rush album. A lot of Rush fans. No, but it, this is this is why well, I think it's it, it was an important that transition period was important. But when you think about it, if they, you know, get a, for a band like that at that time. Mm -hmm. To sort of think to themselves, we're going to do a twenty-minute track. Mm. We're going to put it on one side. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you actually, you know, I, I don't know if you if you listened to uh, Fountain of Lamb Neth before this, uh, but I, I, I had another listen through to it because, mm. you know, my recollection of it is that I loved a lot of it. Mm. Um, but listening to it again, it's like you know, you got it starts with that lovely acoustic guitar thing yeah. in, yeah. in the valley. It's got it's some brilliant stuff. Um, and then you've got this, this like a minute of pure Neil Peart, uh, did Diddy Cats and Narpets. <laughs> um, and as a as a, a long, young aspiring drummer, I listened to that and I thought, yep, Neil Peart is the best rock drummer in the world I've ever heard. <laughs> mm. Just that that section is, and, and and it's so, it's not like a drum solo. It's just like it's like a like a piece, and I just loved it. You know, I love the sound of it as well. That sort of 70s heavily compressed drum sound i just love yeah. that yeah. um no one at the bridge electric guitar coming in with the sea rolling in yeah. um and and then that thoughtful and beautifully tuneful guitar solo from lyson you know and, and it's like the rush sound has been achieved in that you know it's yeah. it's like getting their sound um panacea again acoustic yeah. intro Sort of, and and also it, it it's sort of reminiscent that that panacea part in in here in Phantom of Lamnath is a little bit. It sounds like the Rush sound, you know, that they got on Hemispheres. You could you could tell it was that this is where they sort of formulated that that Hemispheres type of Rush sound, you know, um, licensed acoustic guitar, very sort of Steve Hackett, very Genesisy. I, I know they were listening to Genesis. I've seen that in the interviews. And then it sort of, this is when the, the problems happen. Um, it starts falling away, uh, you know, during um, uh, Bacchus Plateau and, mm. you know, Fountain. It just sort of falls away. It's a little bit, 
Yeah. They could have done something a little bit better at the end of that, but the the, the overall sound of the, that track I just absolutely loved, and it and it and it really stamped. This is the Rush sound. This is how Rush are going to go, and that's why I loved it. It, was it, it, it may seem a strange comment to anyone who's who's not uh, fully familiar with Rush, but I think if anything, they they suffered on that track from not throwing the kitchen sink at it. Yes, yeah? Yeah. I think they just held back a bit. Uh, so you compare and contrast that with some later stuff like 2112 or what they did on Hemispheres or, or Xanadu, um, Off of Farewell to Kings, etc. when they really went for it. And, so, yeah. and, and this, just a little bit too restrained. It was like, you know, you can break out, you can do a little bit more. So kind of built a bit, as you've just been describing, towards some of those tracks within Phantom Lameth. And it kind of gets you there and kind of then just sort of, as you say, drops off. So for me, it was kind of like, didn't quite deliver. Um, it didn't quite deliver. I think yeah. if, they, if they'd gone to Panacea and then just after Panacea, just gone mental. Yeah. Exactly. You know, gone, gone rush mental. Yeah. It would have been a classic. I mean, just an absolute prog classic. Uh, I think everybody would have loved it forever. And uh, but yeah, listening back to it, it just sort of falls off at the end and you sort of... And I think, tellingly, it didn't really appear in many live sets, did it? So, no, um, no, no. Although, I mean, they, they, they did play bits of it. They yeah. have played bits of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember I remember seeing them in the 70s mm. and they played a bit of Bytor. Mm. So, uh, awesome. But that's Rush. Yep. Fantastic. One of my favourite bands ever. Um, which you want to go next? Well, next on your list was uh, Voyage of the Acolyte. Voyage of the Acolytes. Absolutely incredible. Now, this is a beautiful album in every... Let me just bring out the cover art for people. Fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, Voyage of the Acolytes, Steve Hackett. Yeah, I really love this album. So, um, if anyone's not aware, you know, Hackett had a bunch of ideas that he didn't feel were getting uh, proper airtime. Um, and um, there, there's no acrimony involved because uh, Rutherford and Collins appear on the yeah. album. Yeah. Um, loosely based upon sort of tarot stuff. Well, not that loosely. Um, I think. But yeah, it this, was based on the tarot cards. Yeah. And I think, um, I think this one. Um, album sleeve cover of the year because they used to have those things didn't they in, uh, it was Kim, Kim Paul uh, oh, yeah, it was Kim Paul wasn't it his, his, his then squeeze um, um, but yeah they used to have um, best album of the year along with best guitarist best drummer etc and, and this I think got the award it is and, a great yeah, cover yeah yeah she had a very distinctive style didn't she Kim so yes yeah <clears throat> so I mean this this I mean what we've got here is an album which I think, personally, mm. you sort of have to listen to from beginning to end. It's a concept album, mm. and then, and there's a story in there. I mean, I, I was reading on the, uh, uh, the I think it was a Genesis website mm. about the album and the sort of back end story of it. Uh, but it's it's sort of the the trip of this young acolyte, this young kid who's very naive. Mm. And the the story just unfolds where he's he's trying to find wisdom, he's trying to find knowledge, he's trying to find experience and things like that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the Ace of Wands, which is the track I played, because, uh, again, it was like the very first track that I played <clears throat> when I got the album, mm. um, very first track I heard of Steve Hackett's solo stuff, and that blew me away. Ace of Wands just absolutely blew me away. But then you've got things like Hands of the Princess and Tower Struck Down. What else is on there? Um, oh, The Hermit, Star of Sirius, which is uh, got uh, Phil Collins singing on it. Yeah. Um, Lovers and and uh, Shadow Shadow of the Hierophant, yeah. which uh, when we went to see them live, he's still playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he was playing quite a, 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 a few bits off this. But, uh, yeah, the Shadow of the Hierophant went live when we went to when we see him, um, what was it, a couple of months ago. Mm. That was just it blew the roof off. <laughs> you know, yeah. it absolutely blew the roof off. But yeah, it's a great story. It's a, it's a great concept album. And uh and when you think about what he was doing at the time when he was you know yeah, yeah, as you said, he was having sort of I wouldn't say problems, but you know what what Genesis were like at the time. Everybody was trying to get their own bits in and yeah. you got Tony Banks that really is the catalyst for a lot of the stuff that's in Genesis. Yeah, um, the gate, gatekeeper, I think, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, you can imagine 
you know, can you imagine the sort of Hackett's frustration, uh, yeah. you know, providing bits of music and again, mm, nah, because <coughs> he apparently he, he, he sort of gave them a lot of this sort of stuff, mm. weren't very interested, and uh, see, so, solo albums for me sometimes they're really really disappointing because you know you, you've got a fantastic band like genesis you've got a fantastic band and then someone goes off and off and does a solo album and you just think mm, it's just it's nowhere near as good i mean it's literally nowhere near as good i mean a lot of tony banks solo albums i'm not a lover of at all they're okay there's, there's, there's only one i like the very first one the rest of them i think are very weak yeah, very, very weak. I mean, when it's surprising when you think that, yeah. you know, Tony Banks is the guy who who wrote most of the big, big, mm. chunky classics yeah. Yeah. Uh, of Genesis and on his own didn't really quite happen, didn't really sort of happen for him. But I think this album, I think the the just the process of standing away from Genesis, going and doing something yourself and and just putting everything into it, which is what this sounds like. You know, mm. Voyager Acolyte is an incredible album. I don't think it would have suited Genesis to do a lot of it. Some of it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's an interesting comment because I, I kind of reflect on this and think, well, what, what if Genesis had recorded this? Yeah, yeah. I think it could have been a stunning album. Um, yeah, yeah. And, because and they would have put lots more stuff of their own into it and, and yeah. would have, you know... But, but the, the quality of the material, you know, even if Tony didn't write any of it, is 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 very good. Yeah. Um, uh, Ace of One's track you chose got a great guitar intro in it, but you can just imagine sort of like you know, Banks adding some of his genius to it. Yeah. Um, and and for me, I can definitely see some sort of parallels between some of this which I listened to and some of what came out on um, Trick of the Tail, which you know, definitely, yeah, is just around the corner when you think yeah. of tracks like I don't know Entangled or stuff like that. And I, I, I can see how he got from there to there. So yeah, it's a kind of like a, a, a lost lost Genesis album, but um, I, I I like it. I, th I think it's fantastic. You know, it really still stands up. He said um, Hackett's still you know, playing bits of it in uh, in his live gigs. Did for a long time. You know, Tower Struck Down was often, I know, part of his live sets. Um, and uh, it was, it's also got Sally Oldfield on it, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Which I'm not quite sure quite works. But, you know, Collins uh, lends some vocals to it, which are beautiful. Um, so, yeah, um, one, of his, one of his best. It's his first and one of his best, I think. And 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 had his brother on there, brother you know, John, yeah. John Hackett on there was on was there as well, which I you know. And as you say, I mean, Mike Rutherford played bass, didn't play bass for everything, but he played bass. But Phil Collins, you know, you can tell there's a Phil Collins drums, yeah, in there because they just sound great as usual. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was the Shadow, Shadow of the Hierophant. It was a, a a potential song that was gonna or could have gone on to the Foxtrot album. Mm. It was sort of pushed forwards for the Foxtrot album, but that sort of fell through. Hmm. So, and it was going to be called Premonitions, apparently. Oh, okay, but, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. Uh, I think someone in management at Charisma didn't like it and suggested right. Voyage of the Acolyte, which is a much better title, anyway. Yes, yes, so, it worked. Uh, it worked. Yeah, so classic, classic <laughs> album seventy-five. That one. Um, which one do you want to go to next? Next on your list, you had um, you had um, General Giant, didn't you? Yes, your one, one of my shows wouldn't be one of my shows without a little exactly. bit. Exactly, your phase <laughs> off a of free hand. Yes, I, I don't, I don't have a copy of this to hold up. So uh, this is probably one of my one of my favourite uh, General Giant albums. I don't know whether it's just because it was like you know, basically the first one I bought, mm. um, but. Yeah, this took me a while to get into. Mm. Um, free well, Gentle Giant took me a while to get into. It was yeah. so, so, so different to mm. anything else. Um, yeah. But now it's, it's just right up there with albums that I love the, mess, mm. the best. So um, the track I took off this was uh, Freehand. Mm. The... Uh, same as the title of the album, but you, the, the the first three tracks on this, you know, just the same on Reflection and Freehand. Mm. If you just listen to those, if you want to get an introduction to Gentle Giant, if you're not in, not into it, just mm. listen to ju just the same on Reflection and Freehand on this. But everything's great. 
that just those first three tracks will just i think if you if you're not in a gentle giant they will get you in a gentle giant mm. brilliant brilliant seventh album of theirs um which you know so it was quite a way into their career mm. and they'd they'd really sort of nailed the sound they'd nailed the recording process um it was sort of effortless and you can when you listen to gentle giant it's so complex i mean they are probably the most diverse and complex type of progressive rock out there yeah um but it sounds so effortless you know it's just like they just walked in plugged in started you know it's it, it just beautiful it's just a beautiful album it's it's sort of dense but it's yeah. it's complex and it's it's mechanically flawless <clears throat> but it's also one of their most melodic and beautiful and accessible albums i, I think it's certainly uh, uh accessible and and you're much more the uh, the gentle giant um uh aficionado than me um for me you made an interesting comment there because i think they had found you know um a style that worked for them um and if because i first got into them i started listening to the earlier stuff like um octopus and some of the earlier stuff for me and it, it was um there's a sort of like more of a medieval and baroque type style to it there's a bit more sort of like yeah um, plain song type sort of chanting and stuff like that and that that seems to have gone away a bit by the time they get to here um so sort of less of that acoustic side of it and i quite like that dynamic that they had you know you weren't quite sure if they were going to was it, it was a, a group called Griffin, wasn't there? Gryphon that used to, you know, suddenly start playing flugelhorns or crumbhorns, whatever they were, and um, and so there's a little bit less of this. So, but I think they had found, you know, a, a, a formula, if you want to call it that, uh, that worked for them. And I certainly read that um, this is one of the more successful albums, wasn't it? It's one of their, yeah. their higher charting albums. So um, it, it was working for people. Um, um, so was it just the same? I thought was was it just the same? The track you chose for this. Um, was it? I, I thought it was. I thought it was freehand. It could have been just the same, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's got, it could have been just a break on it because you mentioned those first three tracks, and yeah. um, on reflection, sounds a bit like well, every gentle giant uh, track is is kind of different, but uh, on reflection is a bit like knots, um, which is an earlier great track. So, um, so yeah, those, those first three you mentioned there. Um, definitely, um, yeah. If you're not going to like them, you're not going to like any gentle giant. I think. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think on reflection, it has got to be hands down probably the most complex vocal arrangement in all of rock yeah. music. Yeah. And this is like, yeah, bringing Carrie uh, uh, Carrie uh, sort Kerry of Minier. core writing yeah. to its absolute pinnacle of genius at the time. And yeah. it, 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 you know, you sort of said about the you know this sort of earlier. Gentle Giant Elms being a little bit more acoustic, which they, they were, they got a little bit more electric as they went through. Mm. Um, but, you know, standing back from it, you can understanding their gigging regime and understanding, you know, they've got to play all this stuff live and all that sort of thing. You can sort of understand how it, it sort of went. I mean, they had Phil left and, and things like that, yeah. but you, you can sort of see that progression of going from the acoustic side to more electric music, um, but it's the, the music was the same. It was just played on electric guitars as opposed to, yeah. opposed to acoustic guitars. Um, although there is still a lot of acoustic stuff in this. Mm. So you know, I, I just think it's a, a genius, genius album, and I, I absolutely love it a bit. Um, they they certainly seem to be having fun when they recorded it. Yeah, yeah, they, they seem very comfortable with each, with each other. The lineup was pretty stable, so it's quite quite yeah. playful, quite a playful album. So. It's, kind of strange thing to say about gentle giant because they are as you said they are quite dense they are quite complex yeah but well, by that time you know you you you, you had um uh, derek and ray hmm. you know as the the only brothers in in the band as i say phil yep. had gone um but gary green's electric guitar yep. is absolutely incredible uh carrie Maneer's piano is like that, this yep. honky tonk sort of stuff that he was was doing you know that using the uh, clavinet and mm. things like that and harpsichord and and, yeah. and stuff was just absolutely just mind-blowingly good but you also got because you know ray's on bass um and but he does the vocals some vocals as well and yeah. a little bit of violin and 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 things like that but he's, he's, he's like a co-lead vocalist mm. and those two voices just just 
perfect together. And then you got John or John Withers on, Withers on drums. Yeah. You know who, if you if you have ever watched any um, Gentle Giant live, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I've I've seen quite a lot of live stuff from from them over the years. You you notice it sounds really complicated on the album. We actually see him playing live. It's he's playing pretty much you know, straight rock and roll four fours. Mm. Uh, but then at, at the end of every bar, it go into a three four. Mm. So you play you know three bars of four four and then three four bars, <laughs> and you think that's that's really really clever. Yeah. Um, but there is a, there's some really good syncopation in there, really good drumming in there as well. And I think the drums do just suit it so perfectly. So you know, all in all, just I love the album, I love the band, as you know. Mm. Uh, one of my favourites. One of my favourites. Yep. So, do you want to go? What's on next on the list? Next or? on your list was a uh, minstrel in the gallery. Yes, minstrel in the gallery. Um, but do you want to do you want to start off on this one? Ooh. See, I love this album. Um, and you know, in the past few years, we we'd um, uh, running through the years, we've spoken about thick as a brick, and then a passion play, which you know I wasn't terribly keen on. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Warchild was was okay, but a bit sketchy, a bit patchy. I thought yeah, um, Warchild was a bit of a bit of a sort of weird departure from yeah. Yeah, brilliant album after brilliant album. Then Warchild, and it was yeah. But this this I really ha huh, they got their muse back together again, which is a yes, reference definitely. to Baker Street Muse. Just in case anyone's not familiar um, with the album, I, I love it from start to finish. Um, I love the start of it. Um, it seems sort of like almost semi autobiographical. Um, I, I just. You know, Minstrel in the Gallery, Cold Winds uh, to Valhalla, Black Satin Dancer, Requiem, One White Duck, um, wow. Baker Street Muse, um, which is a great track. They really rock out on that. Um, so, yeah, the, the whole of this album I like. I like, I like the artwork. Yeah, it's got a feel to it. Um, so, um, lovely dynamics to it. Um, I think it's got a um, lovely atmosphere, evocative atmosphere, I think you get with this album. So, yeah, big fan of this. Absolutely. Yeah, because it was sort of like a, a, a return to that blend of a, you know electric and acoustic songs in a manner yeah. closely related to the sort of early seventies, like you know Benefit and Aquang and Thick as a Brick. It sort of went back to that. I think they 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 sort of lost their way a little bit with yeah. Warchild, and this was like you know we've got to get back to being Jethro Tull, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but they were also this is this is the album when they we I think they were on. Um, they did it in, I think, Monaco. Um, um, just have a look. I think this is the one we were doing it because they they, they would do it. Yeah. I think it was something to do with being, you know, tax exiles and recorded and mixed somewhere in Europe. There you go. Oh, yeah, I think it was Monaco. Not only too clear in case the tax regimes change, but uh, yes, somewhere in Europe. Yeah, and it's also the last album that um, Jeffrey Hammond played on because mm. he was replaced by John Glasscock after that, which is for me. John, John Glasscock is Jethro Tull. Because when I used to go and see them, it was always John Glasscock. So. <laughs> ah, well. <laughs> um, and David Palmer, now D Palmer, um, uh, that does the orchestration on this. And there's some really nice, subtle um, orchestration. I think it really complements the music well. Yeah. Um, so. But it's, it's, to me, it's, it, it's apart from sort of uh, Jeffrey Hammond, who. who as I say, it wasn't really my tull mm. when I used to go and see them. But you know, it's a, it's a pretty strong lineup. You know, Ian Anderson, Martin Barr, John Evan on on piano and organ, which is in. in I mean, have you ever seen them live? Yeah, it's mental. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a bit like you know you know the um, the keyboard player on Spinal Tap. Oh yes, <laughs> white suits and just like you know, yeah, got yeah. a helmet. And- C sharp minor is the uh, saddest chord, or whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Barrymore Barlow on drums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and Anderson had stopped messing about with saxophones, um, which he was doing on the previous album. So yeah, yeah he just, got a grip. Back, yeah. yeah, just back to what he what he did best, what the band did best. So yeah, so, yeah um, awesome, awesome bloody album. Um, now, to me, the as you say, every unlike the other Tull albums, every track on this. I'm just have a, so you got yeah, yeah Minstrel and Gallery is obviously brilliant, um, yeah. uh, but Baker Street News, as you say, oh, 
it's, I'm, it's a mini mini epic. It's a mini epic. Yeah. Pig me in the hall. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Mother England Reverie, I think, is just brilliant. Ooh. But yeah, it's it, it's it's a great great album. One of my favourites of uh, you know sitting very closely behind Figures of Brick for me. Yep. So Jethro Tull, mm. absolute classic. Next one on the list. Uh, it's the Mahavishnu Orchestra, I think. Mahavishnu Orchestra, Visions, Visions of the Vision. Emerald Beyond. Yeah, so I took the the, yeah. the, the track Faith off this. Uh, but again, like the trilogy of, of really good Mahavishnu mm. albums, and I think this is obviously part of them. Um, I, I don't think there's a bad track on this. It's it's a it's a different Mahavishnu because the one I fell in love with was Birds of Fire. Yes, yeah, um, and that that to me just blew my tiny little um, uh, teenage or tweenage, whatever I was, minds. Yeah, because Billy uh, Cobb had gone. Yeah, absolutely. And got um, Michael Waldron, isn't it? Narada Michael Waldron. Narada Michael Waldron, who I absolutely new. love. I, he was a drummer. I absolutely love. He, he's, a, he's a different drummer to uh, Cobb. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think and, in some ways a lot more tighter, mm. uh, more more. He's a lot more of a straight jazz drummer in some ways, but he just comes up with some amazing stuff. I've got some of his uh, his solo stuff and other stuff with Chick Career and uh, other bits and pieces that you know with the um, role Michael Warden on. And he's just a stunning drummer, stunning drummer. Um, and, and anything with McLaughlin on is going to be interesting to listen to, yeah? Um, and it is interesting, but it, it's perhaps – it's on the funkier side of things for me, whereas, you know, and it's not – so it's not my favourite, I've got to say, Andy, Andy this this album. Um, but, I mean, the speed of their playing, which is one of the things that attract me to the Mahavishnu Orchestra straight away with that, as I said, Birds of Fire, that their ability to do this stuff at, at, at the speed they do it at is phenomenal, you know? As a as a as a young aspiring musician, and just just in all of their ability to knit this stuff together, um, yeah, McLaughlin just you know, is one of the greats. Um, but yeah, a bit far, yeah, a bit funky, funky. If you like funk and you like brass and stuff, then this is you know this is a uh, this is a realm of prog which uh, which may um, um, uh, 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 bake your cookies, as you would say. Well, Michael Nolan Warden as well um, was. A big favourite drummer. I sort of wish he wish he'd sort of could have drummed for Genesis live, right? Um, because there was a, there was a bit of talk about that at the time, mm -hmm. um, and I think it would have, it would have been stunning. I mean, I, I I love who they who they got in. I you know you can't you can't fault anybody who they got in to play drums in Genesis. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was, he was he was sort of you know. Posted up as possible, um, right. but the track I played, Faith, uh, starts with yeah. this incredible twin acoustic guitar, yeah. um, and then the band kicks in it. But it breaks in this mental, fast, hysterical music at the end. I mean, it's, it is so yeah. so quick, and I love. There's a bit where um, there's a violinist, um, Carol Shrive, who you can hear laughing at the end of that track just because of the ridiculous ridiculous speed they play it at. <laughs> oh. so when it finishes it sort of you know finishes dead on and you can hear this uh, this violinist in the background just giggling because it's so quick but yeah, it's, it's it is funkier i mean it's it's yeah. less jazz and more funky yeah uh, but i do love funk i love old 70s funk you know jean-luc ponty on the album as well Jean -Luc ponty, yeah 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 yeah, surfing the edge of chaos sort of thing, isn't it? You know, how did we manage to pull that off? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe we did, you know. Hope someone was pressing record up in the booth. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, again, a fantastic album. Um, one of my favourites. Mm. As you say, I can understand why it's not as as good for you mm. because of the um, – because I, I, I mean, I still love all those – those ones as well, but I just think it was it, it was a little bit of a progression, a little bit of a departure, yep. bringing a little bit more funk and yep. and things like that. But still progressive rock, you know. I mean, it's, it's definitely definitely a rocky album. Um, yeah, so uh, love it, love it. 
Yeah, I mean, if we talk about, you know, well, progressing, um, but, you know, no boundaries, no rules, you know, and and the uh, the musical chops, man, to be able to put it off. Yeah, absolutely. Ticks all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So um, next one up. Mm. Bundles. Bundles. Yes, this is this is where um, Soft Machine has forgotten how to count because uh, they'd gone. <laughs> they, were, they were numbering all their albums. It made it really easy for us to follow which one came next. Yeah, um, I think they yeah. got as far as eight, didn't they? And then it was like, oh, let's call this one Bundles. <clears throat> so, do you like this? This is more the jazz stuff that you like. I absolutely love this album. Mm. There's something just magical about this mm. album i don't know what it is uh, i came to this pretty late to be honest soft machine was not a band that a lot of my friends were playing mm. uh i i sort of stumbled upon soft machine and i think the first time i got was third right but <sighs> alan holdsworth yeah, talking about great guitarists. <clears throat> Late, just, great just, it's just that. Yeah. Alan Holdsworth. Mm. What a just, it just the whole thing blew my mind when I when I I remember buying the album. Uh, I bought the vinyl. Mm. I've got it next door there. Um and again it was because Soft Machine wasn't a big a big band within my group, my social group. Mm. It was it was very much just me listening to it. You know, I, I try to palm this off to to other people that you know that you know in my social group and say oh, you've got to listen to this. And had a couple of people sort of uh, take my vinyl and mm. uh, and bring it back and go, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was all right. Like, <laughs> uh, but again, it's sort of jazz inspired. Um, and this is very much when sort of Ratledge and um, Carl Jenkins were really sort of, you know, taking the creative reins, weren't they, at this stage? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so Carl Jenkins is an interesting guy. I don't know if you've got, he's got an Addy Amos album, which I think quite a few people have got, and it's quite famous. If you haven't heard it, it's, it's worth listening to. Uh, quite different to this, though. But you've got the, because um, there was some connection with a band called Nucleus, wasn't there, Ian Carr's lot. Um, and you, and you, I think you can hear that. Uh, um in this and i think it's kind of where soft machine are pretty much stays i mean they're still they're still gigging um theo travis is very much a, a member of them nowadays yeah and i think you know if, if if you like the current version of soft machine then you're probably going to like bundles because i think they're in pretty much the same sort of space um in terms of their musical style i'd say i mean when you think where the band started you know, with um yeah you know robert wyatt and yeah. Kevin Ayers and David Allen from Gong. You know? It's it's moved um, quite a way away from where they started, I think. It's a different, completely different album. It's a different yeah. album from, you know, uh, Soft Machine album, then volume two, I think it was called, then third and fourth and fifth yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. When it got to this album, it was, you know, a, a completely different album. And again, when it, when it, the next album was completely different because they, they had, um, was it John Etheridge? Yeah. Uh, took over for, uh, the the Softs album, and I like that as well. I think that's a great yeah. album. But this album, I you know, because it's my show, and I, and <laughs> I can do what I want. <laughs> I could have, I could have played uh, you know one of the short tracks, but what I decided to do is I play Hazard Profiles Part yeah. One to Five, yeah, because it's like thirty five minutes of music, <clears throat> and for me, when I when I first listened to this. I didn't know it was different songs. I, I, it, sorry, it was the same song. I didn't know it was like just parts one, two, three, four, and five. Yeah. And I just listened to it and I thought, God, I love those first five tracks. <laughs> <laughs> they all sort of fit together really well and it all sort of flows nicely. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't re even realize it was it was um, it was sort of parts of one <laughs> one song. Um, yeah. And doing the doing the show and re listening to this stuff because. I hadn't I hadn't actually listened to to bundles for for many years mm. when I started putting the show together and I, I was sort of going through my albums and I, I pulled out I pulled out bundles and I sort of went oh what, what date is this seventy five mm. okay mm. 
I'll have a listen to it again because I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure whether you know, it's something I want to put on the show. And I put it on and it just blew my bloody socks off again. <laughs> I just loved it. So that's why I put bundles on. Um, Hasn't profiled what, part one to five, just awesome. One thing that strikes me just as we're talking now is because um, there, there are some people not in the sacred guild who think, you know, progressive rock is about long drawn out keyboard solos and unicorns and fairies and all that sort of stuff all very fey but you know if you listen to um if you listen to hazard profile and you listen to um uh, faith the mahavishnu or- orchestra we've just spoken about yeah there's so much energy yeah. on these tracks yeah and yeah you know, it's probably it's probably not what a lot of people typically associate with this style of music and if you yeah. listen to this it's like yeah, i mean there's, there's, there's a reason why it's called progressive rock you know i'm just emphasizing the second word there in case it's rock, not obvious yeah. enough yeah I mean, these guys are rocking out in, in, in different ways to your 4 4, you know, she loves you, baby stuff. But you now the energy behind it, yeah, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, um, doesn't have to be some of your heavy metal that gets your juices flowing sometimes. Now, this stuff as well can really get you bouncing around the room and, yeah. you know, getting your, uh, getting your imaginary guitar out of your imaginary guitar case and uh, giving it some. Oh, if you're going to do some air guitar, then, you know, Alan Holdsworth is the guy yeah. to do some air guitar with, you know. Yeah. But you'll have to use more than a few frets, you know. You might have to <laughs> the fretboard a little bit. But no, it's, it, it just, to me, it was just, it was magical, you know. The, yeah. the, the, that whole first section, you know, those yeah. first five parts of, uh, of uh, has a profile. But it's just, yeah. the guitar work is astounding. The musicianship yeah. is astounding. You know, if you're a progressive rock fan yeah. and you haven't heard it, then just go on the Spotify and have a listen, you know. <laughs> and I guarantee that if you if you if you love sort of intricate, incredible guitar work, if you love um, music that 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 transitions from one vibe to another yeah. effortlessly, then you're gonna love this. It's absolutely it's a it's a stunning stunning album. And also you got you got um, uh, things like. Um, uh, Land of the Bag Snake, and you know the man who waved at trains. This little couple of minutes of weirdness, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four gongs, two drums, you know. Just there, there's some weird stuff on this as well. But the that has a profile. Um, yeah. Five piece, five piece track is just yep. mind blowing, mind blowing. So yes, soft machine. Yep. Happy profile bundles. Yeah, thanks for joining us on the Progaxia podcast. Don't forget to like this video and also to leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. It really does help us. We'll see you next time.